All right, welcome into the second edition of the Focus, PHNX Sports' newest series. Um, as I've told people, this is a simple concept that harkens back to a more traditional form of journalism, the in-depth one-on-one interview. Basically, I sit down with somebody, whether it's an executive, manager, coach, player, or even a journalist who's made a significant impact on the Valley or Arizona sports scene. Um, joining me today is a man who made a major impact on ASU baseball back in its heyday, and also made an impact on this young journalist who was just learning the trade at the time, um, working and learning at the old East Valley Tribune. We'll talk about that in a moment. But with me today is current Milwaukee Brewers manager and former Sun Devils baseball coach, Pat Murphy. Pat, it is great to see you. It has been far too long. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for joining the show. Um, I know you still keep a home here, as you told me, and we'll get to that shortly as well because I remember the stories on the backyard. Um, but let's talk news of the day. In November, the Brewers name you the next manager of the franchise. Um, you're, you're obviously no, well-known in uh, Valley Circles, and you, were, you placed a guy who was well-known in Valley Circles and well as well as in Craig Council, who you coached at Notre Dame. What are your raw emotions, first off, Pat, on this opportunity? Yeah, I'm grateful. You know, yeah. um, so many people have written and, and texted and talked about, uh, you're so deserving, you've paid your dues, all that. I don't feel deserving. <laughs> I, I feel grateful, you know. Um, yeah, I've just been, I consider myself... Uh, you know, lucky. I mean, there's, there's only a few, few of these jobs out there and I've just continually been in in good spots. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to the journey. I know you had the interim tag with the Padres, but I wonder, first off, when you were back at ASU, when you were coming up through the college ranks, is this something that you aspired to? And then as you went along the path, did you think it would happen? Yeah. You know, it's funny as I, um, I never really did. I, even as a player, when I was a minor league player, I never thought about the big leagues. I knew I wasn't good enough, and maybe that was the problem. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I just, I just wanted to play, and I knew coaching was my calling, and I kept going after that at uh, whatever way I could. Hmm. Just didn't think about. Once I got into college ball, I just didn't think about pro ball. You know, all I thought about is, you know, let's just advance the ball. Let's get, you know, let's help as many people get as good as they can become and try to win games, and. Um, then at the end, right at the end, when kind of the nonsense of the NCAA was happening, I started thinking, like, do I really want to deal with this? And then, you know, didn't really put any feelers out or anything like that because I really believe when it came right down to it, I'm going to leave ASU for what? Yeah. You know, to go back to the minor leagues and start again, you know, for $40,000 or $50,000? Like, no, I'm not going to do that. Not that money ever drove me, but... I just never, never thought it could happen. And then they mm. kind of forced my hand and yeah. that's how it happened and got in the minor leagues. And then, um, no, I didn't, I didn't know the big leagues. And I realized then I don't know the big leagues. Mm. I, I don't know if you want to say anything about the ending at ASU because there were a lot of great years, but I, I don't know if you had any thoughts on it. And you mentioned the, yeah, the absurdity of the NCA. We could, we could do an entire show about, uh, issues yeah, I mean, with the NCA, but what do you want to say about the way it ended in ASU? I'm sure it's not the way you wanted it to end. You know, for every injustice, look what you get out of it. You know what I mean? So if, if it was an injustice, we all have our side of things and we all have our justifications and, you know, your emotions take over when it first happens. But for all of that, you know, what it helped me go through and what it taught me and, um, you know, the humility and uh, check your ego and all those things I needed. So in a lot of ways, you can say it ended up ended up being a blessing um, because I would have never be where I am today and uh, or have went through 
some of the great experiences I've had. So for every injustice, there there is, you know, a, a great part of it. So I'm just thankful. I don't think much back about it. Mm. Um, I didn't I didn't handle it great. Yeah, um, I remember you saying that in, in yeah. a few media. No, I didn't handle accounts. it. I was emotional. Like, how could this happen to me? This is ridiculous. You're throwing me under the bus for this? You know, yeah. like, guess what I know, you know? And But that, that was all just um, a way of handling it because I didn't know what was going to be next. Had to start all over, you know. Uh, my first job was $30,000, mm. you know what I mean? Mm. And uh, I've got... I've got kids and I've, um, yeah, it was hard, but, um, I'm proud of how I responded in total, not maybe initially, but in total, I'm proud of myself for that response and going back to the bottom and working my way up from short season, a ball, to a ball, the triple a, to eventually the big leagues and then, um, getting the opportunity with the Brewers. So, um, yeah, it's kind of something to look back on and kind of shake your head like, yeah, you did good. You grow from it, right? Yeah, like I you did. said, no, yeah. I now you mentioned the age range of your kids before you came on. I'd ask you to say that again, but it's one thing to make a decision for yourself, but you're making a decision for a lot of people when you make that sort of decision. Walk yeah. me through that process. Yeah, that was. Uh, you know, I, I got some calls immediately. Um, I got some offers to to sue the NCAA and to <laughs> sue ASU, um, and you know, you, you start you start thinking about like what is next, and you really, you know, my mom and dad have passed. Uh, I've got older brothers that, that care a lot about me and maybe don't know the business exactly. Um, I never used an agent. So I just, mm. I was kind of on my own and, and really down, really hurt. Uh, couldn't believe someone could do this to me, you know, mm. um, didn't, didn't recognize, it was never a business for me. You know, it was always about people. It was always about teams, yeah. players getting better. And, um, it was all of a sudden a business and this was a business decision and a, in a marketing decision kind of. And, uh, I was like, it can't happen to me. So when you think about your kids, you're like, okay, are they okay? You know, my daughter was, uh, just graduating college ASU. Um, my son was uh, nine years old mm. and his life was ASU. Yeah. And he was, he went to his closet, he took all his ASU stuff and there was a lot of it and he piled it up he wasn't mad. I never said a negative word. He just, he was kind of intuitive. He said, okay. And he never put it on again mm. until he came and played for ASU. Wow. Yeah. Mm. I want to talk about that in, in a bit too. Um, through this whole process, like, like we just talked about, you grow. Um, how would mm. you say you've evolved both as a, as a coach, as a manager, and then as a human being? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, what's interesting is, um, I, I use the term, I'm sure I stole it from someone, but, you know, we're all under construction. I feel like Amen. my construction took a long time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I got started early. I was lucky enough to get the job at Notre Dame at a young age. And only because they didn't want anybody very good, you mm. know what I mean? Um, it wasn't a big-time job. It was a part-time job. And I wouldn't have got it unless it was. I wouldn't have got it if mm. it was a big-time job, like the school is. And... I just think of how lucky I was. And yeah. then everything turned to gold. And I got all the credit. But everything turned to gold. Everything that happened. I, I was around great people. I, I lucked into recruiting some great people. Um, I was around some great coaches, you know, that uh, were coaching the other sports there. Muffin McGraw, Lou Holtz, Digger Phelps. I mean, John McLeod after that. I mean, yeah. some, just some wonderful people. Legends too. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that I got to learn from. 
you know, um, uh, our lacrosse coach, Kevin Corgan, still there winning national championships. You know, I just, I just lucked into it, you know, and then everything went right on the field and we're winning every year and we're doing all this kind of stuff. So <laughs> I just, I, I constantly didn't realize the big picture and I didn't come from a breed of people that coached or were in sports or anything like that. They love sports, uh, but you know, I didn't have any pedigree in it. So I made a lot of mistakes, you know, uh, my record was great, but I wasn't a good coach. Uh, I came to ASU. I couldn't believe huh. nobody liked me. Why doesn't everybody <laughs> like me? Yeah. Everybody liked me at the other place. But, uh, you, you won, you had six straight seasons of 45 plus wins at Notre Dame. You went to the final 16, three straight times. Yeah. I mean, you, you were, you were doing something right yeah. while, while you were at Notre Dame. Without, without scholarships. Yeah. Without scholarships. Yeah. And, and I, you know, Doug Tamaro said this to me the other, other day. One of the things you should talk about with Pat is he, he made cold weather baseball. Okay. In college, he, you could do it yeah. in college baseball. You proved you could actually do it. But Craig, if you knew, and Tamro probably didn't realize I was so grossly inappropriate in terms of how I coached the team. Like I was a drill sergeant to the nth degree. <laughs> you know, I would tell him, look, we're, we're done with practice. Go get something to eat 15 minutes and be back here in a half hour. And we're practicing again. Hmm. There was no thought, Hey, these kids are at Notre Dame. They're trying to get an education. Right. I was like, this will be your best education. <laughs> and, you know, just, I just didn't, uh, I didn't consider anything, but what was in my heart what was in my heart is I had the responsibility to help Notre Dame baseball be great. Yeah. And that was as pure as it could be. The means in which I did it, you know, were just, I was rough on the guys. I can't believe Craig Council ever talked to me again, you know, the, <laughs> way, the way I treated him. But I was a football mentality guy and I thought that's how you had to be. What was Council like in those early days? Very quiet. Very quiet, maybe because I was so belligerent to him, but um, very quiet, very focused. If you left practice facility, the indoor facility, we never practiced outside because mm -hmm. it was below zero till June. <laughs> and uh, But if you left the practice facility and somebody was hitting, you didn't have to look who it was. You know, he was, he was tremendously focused, quiet. Um, I used to make him speak up and make him talk a lot, but... You could see there was a lot going on, and uh, he was very consistent. And that's why when he became a senior, you're like, this kid's going to keep playing because yeah. he got better every year. Mm. What on earth possessed a guy with the last name Murphy to leave the Fighting Irish and come coach yeah. Arizona State? Again, we're all under construction. So yeah. I was ticked that we didn't have a better – we built a facility, but it wasn't great. Yeah. And not the way we planned it. Um, we raised the money and that type of thing. We had one major donor. Um, and the, the vice president at the time, Bill Beauchamp, great man, um, is sat down with me. He said, Murph, you, you turned down Miami, Tennessee, Florida, Tulane. You've turned down these jobs. And now Arizona State. So I'm going to tell you, we're not doing anything for baseball. Mm. We're going to be it this way. That, at that point when I left, we had like six scholarships. Um, wow. we're going to, we're going to stick with this right now and you're going to get job offers and yeah, we'll keep moving yourself. And yeah, you can stay here. You've done an unbelievable job putting us on the map, but baseball's not going to become a priority. Mm. And that just kind of prompted me to, to, uh, and then, and then I came to Arizona and interviewed and then I called back there and said, okay, uh, I just interviewed, I'm going to get the job. And they said, okay, well, make a decision. 
<laughs> and I had just done this with the University of Miami and said no and went back to Notre Dame, had two more really good years. Um, I don't know. I really don't know yeah. at all. I, I'm sure in a lot of ways uh, I had to do it. Yeah. You know, I told Craig this when he was leaving the Brewers, you know, like it didn't make any sense sometimes, but I had to do it for me because I had to find out. And I did. It yeah. was tough. Those first few years here, Craig, I was. Yeah, you knew the, the pedigree of, and the expectations, which were, like we can just say it frankly, often unrealistic yeah. in a changing landscape of college baseball. But And it, it hurt me too, but mm. but I responded well. And, and through the help of a lot of great people around, Harvey Dorfman, Bob Welch, um, and just people in the Valley that would, uh, you know, our good friend, Bob Moran, you know, yeah. like yeah. he sat with me and he talked to me about it and gave me a perspective that I didn't ever know. Hmm. I was just leaving Notre Dame. I wasn't going to Arizona State. I was more leaving Notre Dame, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So then when I got here and understood Arizona State and understood what was it about and what I, what I needed to do, things turned around really quick and, uh. There was no place to hide in that six pack. Yeah. There was no place to hide. And let's let's talk about that. What were what what was it like in those early years? What wow. what were the expectations that that you came to understand for this program? Yeah, well, I, I mean, it was the World Series, or you didn't have a good season. Yeah, and the, the six pack was so tough. Yeah, I grinded every game. I squeezed it too tight so many times. We didn't have good teams early on. They had lost their whole lineup. We then had injuries beyond belief in my first year and a half, but eh, we still did okay. We still hung in there, and we we showed that we were going to play with a grit. I wasn't a very good coach. Uh, I was focused on a lot of the wrong things. Mm. Um, but then we kind of kept. I kind of backed off a little bit in my intensity, and I kind of, I kind of just you know took a breath, almost like ah, uh, you know I, I got to stop squeezing it, and things just happened. And that '98 season, you know, my fourth season, we're playing for the national championship. Yep. Um, and then more injustice, you know, having to play. It's not double elimination all of a sudden, and you got to play national championship game. They already got a loss, you know. Um, it's for made for TV, you know. <laughs> this is college sports. It's not made for TV. You were popular with the media at that particular series, though. I remember. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't remember any of that. All I remember is that this ain't this ain't right. Yeah, yeah. But again, out of that came something great. So, yeah. When did the valley start feeling like home? And I want to talk about your house as well and what you did with the backyard and all that. But when did it feel like, okay, this is my new home? Yeah. Um, it, one of the things that you prompted me before this interview, you said, I'm going to ask about your best memories at ASU. And <clears throat> the best memory I have is 2005. And, and this answers your question. 2005. We went to Fuller, Fullerton once again to play um, the Cal State Fullerton in the Super Regional. Yeah. And like every year in the postseason, we're going to Fullerton. Yeah. They're never coming to us. Yeah. So I'm mad at everybody. I'm mad at the NCAA committee. I'm mad at everybody. You know, I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Here we go again. And then we lose the first game on a walk-off balk. Do you remember that? I do. Zinicola was, was pitching to whoever, and he was intentionally walking him. Come set, you had to throw the pitches in those days. Come set, boom. They called a balk in the 12th inning, and they walked us off in game one on their home field. And Kevin Costner was in the front row. <laughs> wow. And I don't then, remember that detail. Yeah, Costner was in the front row, and uh, I've come to love Kevin Costner, even though I don't know him. But my one interaction with him was 
after the media was done that night, Costner was walking by himself out of the stadium. And, you know, my crazy mind was like, Costner's coming out of the umpire room. He must have paid those, you know, <laughs> you know just craziness, you know. Right. Your mind is just, uh, but I, I, I didn't lose it because my son and daughter were in the stands. My son Kai was four. My daughter Kelly was uh, uh, 18 or 19, and they were in the stands, and I didn't want to lose it. The, uh, one of the umpires um, from Louisiana came to me and said, Murph, it's ridiculous. I know. Don't lose it, man. We're on national TV. Don't lose it. Mm. He was worried for me. And I didn't lose it, but we went on and won the next two games. Yeah. And it was just pure. You know what I mean? It was just pure. And instead of celebrating that night, I got in the car with my son and daughter with my uniform on, and we drove from Southern California to Phoenix all night and talked and laughed and played music. Mm. And that moment, I was going home. You know, I felt like wow. I'm going home. And, uh, yeah, yeah. That's the, the best memory of ASU for me. What a great memory. Wow. Yeah. I want to talk another memory, and this one's a little selfish. For our listeners who don't know this, Pat used to take the sports staff of the East Valley Tribune, our main office was in Mesa at the time, to lunch at a great restaurant. You remember it? The Landmark Inn with an entire room devoted to a salad bar that had things like quail eggs. It was insane <laughs> what you could find in there. And we'd sit at this long table and Murph would just literally hold court with Bob Moran there, Scott Bordeaux yeah. there, Dan Zeiger there, Bob Romantic, a lot of people from the staff. The thing that I'm getting at here, Murph, and you mentioned this very early in the, in the uh, interview, it's about relationships. You genuinely seemed to enjoy your relationships with media, which you don't see a lot of these days. First of all, am I portraying that accurately? And is that still part of your approach? Yeah, I didn't. I was never trained in the media. So I thought I could tell you exactly what I was thinking and that you would understand my standpoint yeah. and then print it that way. <laughs> it didn't come out that way. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. So, so that would frustrate me, yeah. you know? And then I would come back and say, what's wrong with you? I just told you how I was feeling, you know? So um, I didn't, I didn't kind of get it, you know? Um, so over the years, I've realized the media are important. You know, don't shy away from them. You know, they're important. And they're trying to depict what's accurately going on. And uh, you can tell them what you feel, but at the same time, they're not going to see your point of view. So don't try to convince them. Mm. Just be yourself, you know, and huh. it's it's worked out much better. Let's talk about one media member in particular, Bob Moran, who covered your teams mm. consistently and sadly passed 16 years ago now, I can't believe it's been that long, but you, you had quite a relationship with Bob Moran and you honored him. We'll talk about all that. But how did, how did that relationship grow? You mentioned you sat down and he gave you a perspective that you hadn't even considered. How did it grow from there? Yeah, he never wanted to talk to me in the beginning. He, did, he didn't have any interest in listening to me. I could tell in the scrums and everything. I could tell he just, he's going to write what he's going to write. Huh. And he did. Yeah. And uh, it kind of challenged me a little bit. And I could tell in some of his writings, he was kind of saying to me like, hey, man, you better grow up. You better learn some things. You know, you don't understand this rivalry. You don't understand this valley. Um, so it intrigued me. And I knew he was kind of speaking to me without talking to me. <laughs> he did and, that a uh, lot. And it's right. He did. <laughs> and um, so I grabbed him. So, so what he would stay after the games up in the press box. So a couple times we met way late at night, mm. like two and a half hours after the game. 
And I'd say, what's up? I'd say, what do you got? And we didn't even talk about the game. We ended up talking about Arizona State sports, Arizona sports. And um, I started to see his perspective. Mm -hmm. And I realized, like, wow, this guy's special, you know? Um, And the insight, like, man, I need this guy. I need to to talk to him. And it was pure. He just really wanted to tell you what he knew. He wasn't going to candy coat it. He wasn't going to... There's nothing about himself. It was all about Arizona sports. And, um, man, I just love being around him. Hmm. How did his passing hit you? And can you talk maybe a little bit about your decision, what you did for him to honor him? Yeah, you know, um, really, when you lose a friend and you lose somebody that's an icon in Arizona sports, you know, um, you don't know what, you know, you're just like, wow. You know, like, does the rest of the people realize yeah. how great this guy was? Mm. You know, do, do do people get it? You know, so I guess what we wanted to do is just really, truly, like, let people know how much we appreciate him. Mm. You, can you tell people what you did just so... You go that? ahead, you tell it. So, oh, Was it the initials or was it full name? That full he, name. Full name that you wrote on the hat. And, yeah. yeah. We went to the World Series yeah. and... and um, you know, that was a, an era where you were doing that kind of thing. You know yeah. what I mean? And um, I put his name on my hat because people, I wanted people to know that this guy, although he's in the media, yeah. he wouldn't see that, you know, but he's in the media. He was more than that. You mm-hmm. know, that they're people too, and they have perspective too. And it's not just, he'd still write whatever he felt. <laughs> he didn't care how I felt about him. That's so, the truth. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you talk about him as a mentor. He's obviously a mentor for me as well. And I remember covering some of those games at the old Packard up in the yeah. press box that we called the bunker because that's yeah. what it looked like. And I don't know who we got the pizza from, but it was much appreciated <laughs> when the pizza showed up. But yeah, Bob Bob made an enormous impact on Arizona State sports. Right. I wonder if there are other things that jump out from your time at ASU. You, you mentioned the College World Series, the the title game against SC uh, Fullerton. Anything else jump out at you, Pat? That that you take with you, one of those memories you're going to take with you for life. I mean, I raised my kid in those in those uh, in Packard Stadium. You know, like he'd come right after school. I'd take a 15 minute break to pick him up from Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and then I'd bring him right back there, and he'd do his homework and mm. have a snack and watch practice and mess around and do whatever. And I just think about those days. It was perfect. My daughter helped me. She was going to college, but she was Kelly was helping me and was kind of like a, a a mom to him. And at the same time, you know, sometimes she'd argue with him and bicker with him. I'd be like, Kelly, he's five, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so they were very much brother and sister and they still are today. It's beautiful. But um, yeah, that, those are the times I remember. Bob Welch, you mm. know, I remember him. That comes to mind. He was went through a rough time after his career and uh, – yeah, we, we became great friends, and he was there a lot at our practices and games. And um, yeah, those are the those are the things. How about watching Kai put on a, an ASU uniform? Was mm-hmm. that a special moment? Yeah, I didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't, uh, you know, he committed and he went to Oregon State as a freshman. Had a great freshman, but it was COVID season, so he. But he was really trending to be more of a pitcher. He didn't really want to do that. Um, Oregon State was great to him. But then that uh, was the time of the transfer portal. So he, he transferred. He had a lot of offers to go other places. And he came to me one day and he said, Dad, um, I'm going to go to ASU. Mm. I'm like, ASU? He said, they haven't recruited you. They haven't talked to you. He goes, 
they will. I'm like, Kai, this is a big decision. <laughs> you know, great. you got to have the place where you're going to play. That I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play. He was so driven that, um, yeah, he called the guy and they talked and um, he ended up going there. He earned a job as a as a uh, freshman in the fall or as a first year player in the fall. And uh, I think he started every game for two years. So mm. now he's signed with the Padres and right. happy, doing well. And yeah, I'm happy for him. He had a great experience. Do you still have the sandlot in your backyard, by the way? I have a different sandlot now. So okay. I moved from that house. Okay. That was called the ditch. Yep. And now, now I'm, I'm at the hilltopper, as my kids would call it. Um, what does it look like? What, what are we looking at when we go here? <laughs> uh, you can tell I've got kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have a sandlot in the backyard. Um, it says it the same uh, logo that they use in the movie on the scoreboard. It's Bob Welch Field, uh, <laughs> but it's the sandlot. And uh, we got posters up. We got uh, Mario Kart stuff uh, painted on the wall. And uh, yeah. You, any Wednesday or Friday, you're going to see a pack of kids there playing wiffle ball, and mm. yeah, it's, it's 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 beautiful. Was it tough to say goodbye to ASU? We talked about some of the things before the way it ended. Was it was it tough to say goodbye? Um, yeah, I was at first very very bitter, and then when my son, when Kai played there, going back, I didn't feel a ton of emotion. Mm. I really didn't, you know. Um, I mean, it happened. The yeah. injustice happened, and it. And I'm not blaming anybody anymore, you know. And I'm, I'm just. I mean, I had blame myself some for how I handled it, but um, I'm looking at it as you know, like, hey, that that's part of my journey. That's part of the story. Okay. Um, it had to happen that way, I guess. But mm -hmm. um, was it tough leaving? I mean, I was told to leave basically, and yeah. I just uh, there was some bitterness. Um, but I was so, I mean, it was my life. Yeah. I wasn't a businessman. I, I was a coach. That I was, and you're was an all-in guy. You're an all-in guy. Yeah. And we were rolling. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 05 to 09, I don't know how many weeks. Nobody's ever won four uh, straight championships in a major sport, in a major conference. We had four straight Pac-10 titles. Mm. It, it, the SEC, you're not going to see that. And the ACC, you're not going to see that. Uh, not just in baseball, in anything. Rod Dado back in the 70s. That's that's the last time you saw it. So we were rolling. And it wasn't, I'm going to be honest, it wasn't just me. You know, I, I was the named leader, but we had great players. We had people like Pedroia come through the program, and he he impacted, like, how we were going to play. You, you're Arizona State, you're going to play this way. And we had the guys after him, the Kipnis and the Calhouns and yeah. Mike Leakes and Ethier and, and, and the guys, Brett Wallace and Ike hmm. Davis, the guys that came through. They exuded that. The program kind of ran itself. So by the time Merrill Kelly got there, yeah, this is how we do it. Mm. And um, yeah, it was a great run and would have kept going, really would have kept going. Um, but, uh, I mean, there's there's bigger fish than that. And when you're thinking of the NCAA, the overall perspective, I mean, yeah. it, it was a nice little niche, but, you know, it came to an end. And uh I hopefully, hopefully they get back there because I love the guy running the program. You know, yeah. I'm close with Willie, and um, I really have a good feeling about what's ahead. All right, let's talk some fun things that Randy told me I had to ask you about. <laughs> First of all, how did it come about that you boxed a priest, Father Joe? Father Joe Kapoor. You boxed a priest. Did you have any reservations Twice. about that? First of all, Twice. You know, as a religious man. Uh, 
<laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, Father Joe's my great friend, and he's a Notre Dame priest from the Holy Cross Order, but he was living in Phoenix at, at St. John Vianney. And he came to me, he, he introduced himself to me, this connection with Notre Dame, and um, he's way out in Avondale, and he, he drives all the way to Tempe, introduces himself to me. We build this great friendship, and then um, he tells me, you know, I'm really interested in learning to box. I mean, he's a huge man. I mean, he's 270 pounds and maybe only 5'8", but... Um, so I say, well, you know, I've got a little experience doing that, and yeah, I'll help you. So at noontime, every day, he'd drive from Avondale, and I'd train him in the Packard lounge. <laughs> We'd move all the furniture, okay. 35 minutes, and... This would be a, a crazy story today, by the way. There'd be yeah. video, there'd be yeah. everything. Well, there's, there's, there's video around. <laughs> I've seen it. Uh, but um, sure enough, and some mm. of the players would watch and whatever, this guy was hell-bent on doing this. He wrestled in high school, but he wanted to do this. Well, then he's like, okay, I'm ready. I want to have a fight. I'm like, no, this guy's going to get hurt. This is a bad <laughs> business. You know what I mean? I, I don't know how old I am at the time, but I'm probably 39, 40. And I'm like, no. He's like, well, we can do a charity for St. John Vianney. Find me an opponent. I don't want him to get hurt. I don't want... So I said, I'll do it. So we went to St. John Vianney. We put on a fundraiser, raised a ton of money. There's a great video clip. Craig Council refereed the first round. <laughs> oh my God. And um, Jeff Munn refereed the rest yeah. of it. And um, we fought 12 rounds. And uh, So did you literally pull punches on this one? Yeah. Or, yeah. I broke his ribs, and I didn't mean to. <laughs> And about the fifth round, he goes, don't hit me in the ribs anymore. <laughs> he said, we're in a clinch. He's like, don't hit me in the ribs anymore. I'm like, no, I'm gonna. You know, and I, I think I cussed at him, which was, <laughs> which was perfect because we would joke at each other. You know, we would joke with each other all the time. So um, I did. I, I, you know, he goes, don't hit me in the ribs. And I cussed at him and said, I'm going to still do it. But I, but I didn't, of course. But we had a great time. It was a great time. Raised a ton of money. It was the devil versus the priest, you know. Kind of and then we did it again at Celebrity oh, Theater. Man. We did it again at Celebrity Theater. Um, it was a sanctioned U USBF fight at Celebrity Theater. I think I was like 44 years old. And again, I, I, he hired a professional trainer yeah. and, and worked out and tried and whatever. And uh, we fought again a three-round um, legitimate fight at Celebrity Theater. But again, I didn't want him to fight anyone else. Right, right. He had a detached retina. Um, he, he he got beat up a little bit. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable story. We're still great friends. He's <laughs> the godfather of my son, Guy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I got to ask you about your love of Bruce Springsteen, and this one touches me too because I'm I'm a huge fan. Are you? Um, yeah. Nice. You ever see him live? What about his music oh, yeah. or persona yeah. just resonated with you? I always, I, I get asked about this a lot. Never met him. Don't want to meet him unless we can do this. Yeah. You know I mean? Okay. One on one, do this. Then I, I'm in. But if not, I don't. I've been offered to go backstage. I just saw him at uh, Wrigley Field last year. Mm. Um, it happened just by luck. 1980. I wasn't a big music guy or know a lot of stuff about music. Never played an instrument. Can't sing. Um, and because of a female, I went to a concert in 1980 at the Hollywood Sportatorium, Florida. 
and listen to this guy play five and a half hours. I was like, this guy's crazy. When I got to Notre Dame, there was a, uh, one of my players was named John Flanagan. We're still, we're like brothers today. John Flanagan was on my first team and Flanagan said, Hey man, I heard you're a Springsteen fan. I'm like, kind of. He goes, man, I am too. He was so enthusiastic. And he started talking about the lyrics and what they meant. Have you heard this? And you heard that. So I had to take an interest. Yeah. And ever since that was 88. And ever since that, I've just, I fell in love with what he speaks about who he is. I didn't realize his background. Mm -hmm. You know, he's an Irish, Irish, last Italian Catholic from Jersey. Uh, I'm an Irish Catholic from Syracuse, New York. So we had a lot in common. And he talks about his childhood and he talks about uh, the description of things. And it's just, it's more about like, nobody's better than anybody. You know, everybody's just fighting to do a good, do a mm -hmm. good thing. And um, yeah. And then he, some of his music, just, you know, darkness is something mm. that I, God, gives yeah. me chills thinking about it, you yeah. know, and people are like, that doesn't seem like you're, because I grew up on soul music, you know what I mean, Motown. I never, I never even thought about listening to rock and roll that much. Mm. But when I listen to Springsteen, it's different, you know, it's just different. It speaks to me in a way that, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I think he speaks to a lot of people with, yeah. It, it, it's he speaks to America in many ways, and I I think about the influence that he had on so many musicians that came afterward. It, right. It's insane. You you used his lyrics with your team. Did you use them all at the time? time, yeah. time? Did, Every give me year. an example of that. So that my first year at uh, Notre Dame was Thunder Road. You know what I mean? And my second year was No Retreat, No Surrender. And then you know we just kept going. You know. Um, every year we'd have another kind of thing that Badlands or, um, great song. Yeah. I mean, we, we would just born to run and then we would just keep going every year. There was something that they would, we would use. Um, and, uh, yeah, guys know it. And they would start, guys would start texting me, you know, uh, in Springsteen lyrics, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and then Bobby Welch, who, loved rock and roll music and knew a lot of people and has heard a lot of people at the end of every game at, um, uh, Packard stadium at the end of every game, win or lose, when the fans started, um, trickling out probably 10 minutes after we'd play back in your arms mm. off tracks, which is an unknown song. And people loved it. More people asked me about that song huh. and Bobby Welch was sitting in the dugout one day and the tears rolled down his eyes. Wow. It's like, well, if I just love this song. So then we just continued, you know, and uh, then we had Springsteen Sundays and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just become a huge part of my life. If you had to pick five songs, if someone held your feet to the fire, what are the five songs on that playlist? It's oh, hard. God. I tried doing it and it was... Darkness, um, Thunder Road, uh, Prove It All Night. Um... Help me, help me, help me, help me. Oh, uh, uh, No Surrender. Hmm. Okay. Um, a lot from that Darkness Born to Run thing. Uh, the Rising, huge. You yeah, know, it's okay. huge. Um, hmm. But I can keep going. Yeah, me too. You know? I, I couldn't whittle it to five. I, just, I gave up after yeah, a while. I, You know, I was going to put together like a a package of like for my own music, you know, like a little playlist here. Yeah. These and these and they're like, ah, it's too many. Yeah. What are your five? I, or I don't get to ask the questions. No, you can ask the questions. <laughs> I, 
I love Rosalita, but I love yeah. the live version of that song. Badlands is one of my favorite songs. Um, Thunder Road, definitely. Jungle Land to me is like oh, a, like a rock Land. opera. I should, it's, I should it's include unbelievable. that. Yeah. yeah, should yeah. include that. And then I like uh, one of his more modern songs. Not modern. I mean, hell, we're old. I'm on fire. I love that song yeah, too. So too. I want to ask about your connection to Muhammad Ali. Yeah, another. How lucky is that? This happened. Uh, you know, I always I love boxing, and and uh, I grew up. My brothers would take me in the basement. I had three older brothers. They'd take me in the basement. We had two sets of block, boxing gloves, and they'd be Ali, Jimmy Ellis, Floyd Patterson, um, and I'd be Jerry Quarry. So if you follow boxing, yep. I got the short end of the stick. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, and I, I didn't like Ali growing up because my brothers loved him and, you know, he was loud and my dad. And he was always beating on you in the basement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but then as I got older, just respect and then what he's doing beyond boxing, I loved him. And uh, when I was at Notre Dame, he had a place in, in, um, in um, right outside Dwajek, Michigan, Benton Harbor, right outside that. And he had a ranch there. We'd see him in the airport, and there'd be nobody around him. And he'd be by himself in the South Bend airport sitting there. So every occasion, I'd go up to him. And he was starting to get sick, and uh, it was probably 90s, you know, early 90s. So yeah. it was right before he lit the torch for the Olympics. Oh. And that changed everything. People started to remember, oh, wow, this is the champ. Not that they didn't know him back then, but my era didn't really understand you know, or my kid, the kids that I was coaching didn't understand how impactful this guy was because they'd see him by himself in the airport with a suitcase and Islamic brochures he would hand out. And I would tell him, guys, do you understand? Anyway, long story, mm. a guy that coached in that town and actually had his youngest son on his team reached out to me when I was at Arizona State and said, hey, um, and I knew this guy as a coach. He's like, I got this young kid that... Um, needs a chance down there somewhere. Can you help him out? I said, send him down. He's, he comes down. He's not going to qualify for us at Arizona State. Send him down. I let him stay in my guest house and try out for all the junior colleges in the area. His name was Coco. His first name was Coco. He went by that. And Coco f found a home at Central Arizona. Unbeknownst to me, he was best friends with Ali's kid. Hmm. And Ali's wife, Lonnie, we're still good friends today, She's a remarkable woman. If anyone ever knew how much this woman does for others, it's incredible. But so Lonnie picks up the phone and just calls me. said, why would you do that for him? Why did you go the extra mile for that guy? I said, Lonnie, I'm a baseball coach. I said, well, what do we do? She's like, that's incredible. I said, well, by the way, you know, I'm a huge fan of your husband's. I had no idea there was a connection here. Mm. Next thing I know, fast forward two months, there's a knock at my door. And Lonnie Ali and the champ shuffle in. And up on my mantle, it's always been there, is a portrait of him in his younger days painted. And uh, he walked in my house and he just looked up at the portrait and looked back at me, kind of <laughs> shook his head. <laughs> and we ended up having dinner together a couple months later, just the four of us, Kai, my, my son Kai, myself, Lonnie, and Muhammad. And I sat on the couch next to him and we looked through a picture book that they had given me of pictures that no one had seen. I still have it at my home. And uh, he didn't say much at all, but he'd stop me. Yeah, but we'd be turning the pages and he'd grab my leg and stop me. And God, think about what uh, my son was 
seven or eight at the yeah. time, nine maybe. And um, Lonnie cooked, barbecued out, cooked burgers and uh, sweet corn. And we sat there and ate, the four of us. So you talk about privilege. Yeah. Like, what a privilege. Over nothing. I did nothing. And uh, we've Lonnie and I still keep in touch, and she's remarkable. I don't think there's an athlete that's impacted me more. I, probably, if you chose, if I chose my favorite athlete of all time, it would be him. Really? Not just for what he did in the ring or what he did for sports media, but his social exactly. causes as well. Just right. That's, but that's he, an, he really brought your profession alive with yes, his relationship with Cosell. Yes. And what's interesting about that, Craig, is I've gotten no uh, Bob Euchre. And little known fact, Euchre worked with Cosell um, for whatever channel or whatever station that was, but they worked together. Wow. So he's got a number of Cosell stories. Mm. Euchre is, I mean, you want to talk about another, you talk about grateful. I get to meet these type of people. Bob Euchre. Like if you don't know him, people Mm. in Milwaukee all know, if you don't know what this guy's about, 90 years old, as special and as giving and as alert as you could ever believe. Mm. He's impactful. Yeah. So I appreciate you saying that about the champ. He's in my life too. And I've, I've gotten to live this and get to know these people. It's like, yeah, who am I? You know, that's pretty special. Let's go back to council to, to bring this full circle. I, I wonder, first of all, about the experience you, you coached him when he was a kid. You were, he was obviously impressionable. Then, then you're working under him. What, what was that dynamic like? And yeah. what was the entire experience like working with Craig Council? Yeah, wonderful. You know, one could say uh, when I first got the job with Milwaukee, you'd say like, well, oh, here's Counts hiring his mentor, his college coach, and he's never coached before. So he's going to help this guy learn how to coach. Well, after eight years, I can say he taught me a lot more than I ever taught <laughs> him. That's for sure. Um, he taught me the big leagues and um, – yeah, I mean, we, we, we've had a 37-year consistent relationship. That's and it's, amazing. It's, uh, it's personal, and uh, his wife, Michelle, is a great friend. His kids are I'm very close with. But um, it's been a baseball relationship, you know? We don't talk about much else. Okay. And, um, yeah, this whole process of working with the Brewers and being there, I mean, it's been the, arguably the, well, it, it has been the most successful era in Brewer history. And... Craig's out front of that and uh, really, really did a remarkable job. A remarkable guy never coached anything before. Uh, fifth grade basketball and walk into the big leagues and do the job he did is mm. it's it's rare. You look at all the guys that jumped in like that. They don't have instant success the way he has. Right. Um, and he allowed me to be myself and it helped me grow and. You know, we've, uh, we're as tight as two people can be and it's going to be weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Gonna be we'll, weird. we'll get to that in a minute. You, so you've stayed steadily in touch with him, I assume over the whole the, time. Yeah. He so, actually lived at my place here in Arizona. Oh, wow. Um, okay. when he came back to the diamondbacks, I want to say 2000, okay. he lived at the house, uh, him and Michelle and, um, yeah, I mean, I've known my kids and yeah, we're, what do you <clears> think <throat> about you coaching? The Dutch national team, which I need to ask you about, because this to me, like, did you see the moving cool runnings when John Candy's <laughs> training the Jamaican bobsled team? That's what this reminds me of. What on earth happened there, Murphy? I was at Claremont College, uh, a legendary coach and former athletic director there, baseball coach there, Bill Arce. Okay. Um, Bill Arce said, because I was doing pro ball in the summer, so I was still playing. Yeah. I was playing and then be a college coach. 
I was playing minor league baseball and college coach and a college football coach. So with all that chaos, um, he said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to go over to Holland. We had a great relationship over there with those people and coach their national team. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Just like that. So, yeah. So <laughs> he hooked me up over there. I talked to some people. And one thing leads to another. I'm going to Holland. And uh, it's 1987. We've got to qualify for the 88 Olympics in Seoul. And sure enough, we do. I go over there and a bunch of great people. And uh, we play the European Championships. And I could tell you stories that would just, you wouldn't believe happened on a baseball field. But uh, there were some great young players. And uh, yeah, we won the, we won the European. We, we, we qualified for Seoul. But in the midst of it, I got the job at Notre Dame. Mm. while I was in Holland. And so my, I was very divided, you know, but I think it helped me relax and we played better and um, won the thing. And then I never went to the Olympics that year because I took the job at Notre Dame and yeah. I just didn't feel like anything else mattered. Mm. And then uh, I got to go back in 2000 to Sydney with him and, and be the head coach of the Olympic team. So, and that was the year, it's the first time we've taken players from Curacao to Aruba and that caused tremendous contro controversy, which I, I wasn't immune to. I realized at that time. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that so the guys from Curacao know the guys in the big leagues from Curacao know. Hey, that's the guy that allowed the guys from Curacao to play. And it really wasn't me who did it. Right. I just took advantage of it. Yeah. Know? So yeah, it's it's been great. What a wild experience. People. All right. You you just mentioned you're going to be managing against Craig Council now. Like these these are. Not just teams in, you know, that they're, they're in the same division. They're rivals. This yeah. is a rivalry. Yeah. I remember it. I grew up in Chicago. What, what is that going to be like for you, Murph? It's been intense for the last eight years. <laughs> uh, the Cubs and, and us have been intense. And, and um, it'll be intense again. And it's just not about me. You know what I mean? It's 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 not about me. And and, and really, it's not about Craig. It, it, that'll be a storyline. Craig Council will be a storyline. And deservedly so. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're the head coach at, at U of A and then you come to ASU after great success of U of A and then you come to come to ASU, it's going to be a story. But it's still about the players and it's still about the organizations. So I got a job to do. I can't worry about that. You know? Last question for you, Pat. How long do you want to do this? You just turned 65, right? I hate, I hate hearing that. <laughs> sounds old, doesn't it? It happens to all of us, buddy. Yeah. How long do you want to do it? And, and and when you finally, whenever that day is, and listen, people are coaching, managing executives into their 70s, 80s now. It's People are living longer, so it's the, the game has changed. But I don't know if you've thought about this all. And if when you do hang it up, if you've thought about how you want to be remembered, what are the bullet points of Pat Murphy that you mm. hope people take? Yeah. Well, like anything else, I'm just going to tell you what comes to mind. Sure. But um, yeah, I don't think about retirement. Um, I might have to. Nobody wants me. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I've got plenty to do. You know what I mean? If that's the calling, and, and I got plenty to do. I got young kids. You know what I mean? There's nothing more important in my life right now. Way more important than baseball or anything else is my kids. So having young kids, I'll never be retired, so to speak. Um this life is working. It's working. There's some, there's some, there's some mountains to climb. Uh, when you're doing this, you're trying to raise young kids and you're trying to manage a major league baseball team. But truly, uh, I don't think about it. 
uh, how I want to be remembered. You know, I don't, I don't think that's important. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't think it's important. What's important is that I'm present today and I live my life today and try to impact as many people. I look at coaching like offensive linemen, you know, uh, you mentioned our great friend, Jake Plummer, you know, I feel like I'm just trying to open holes. So, or give Jake time to throw, you know what I mean? Just open holes, protect the quarterback, let the guys run through if they will. And just don't look for credit and go back to the huddle, you know, button your chin strap and do it again and just keep doing that. That's what coaching's about. Keep impacting if you can, opening holes and just keep doing it and let other people say what they want to say and remember what they want to remember. There's a lot of, I've been so lucky, but I've done a lot of, you know, not so great things and dumb things. And, um, but you know, it, you know, I can, I can regret a lot of things. I can be sorry that I said things and all that, but right now I'm just present and looking forward how I'm remembered. Uh, you know what I mean? That's for other people to do. And yeah. I'm just going to... Moran's going to write what he's going to write anyway. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. That's a, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Pat, this was fantastic. I can't thank uh, you enough for I can't taking thank the you. time. It's been great. Thank yeah. you. And thanks to all of you for joining us on another edition of The Focus.